Hello, my name is Peter Abiel, and welcome to the Robot Brains podcast, a show about AI and robots and the brilliant brains who make them. Today here with me is Boris Crumry, Global VP of Automation Solutions at UiPath. UiPath IPO'd in April 21, and it was one of the largest IPOs in history, with a $35 billion market cap at close on its first trading day. UiPath builds software robots for companies, in particular, robotic process automation. This basically means that they help organizations automate their various business processes. The fairly repetitive work employees might do behind their computers. Their software robots are used at Google, NASA, Autodesk, General Electric, DHL, PwC, among many others. As Global VP of Automation Solutions, Boris leads the charge on the development of their robotic process automation and UiPath's ambition to give every person a robot. So happy to have you here with me. Welcome, Boris. Thanks for having me, Peter. I'm so glad I get to talk with you. It's very interesting to me because in my personal world, whenever I talk about a robot, think about a robot, it tends to be a physical robot trying to do something physical. But in your case here for UiPath, the robots are purely living in software, right? Exactly. That makes a big difference because uh, the principle may be the same. You're automating tasks that you know humans do. And these are the tasks that humans do on computers. And in a sense, it's it's easier because we are taking away all the mechanical, you know, kind of engineering bit, the the physical bit, but the challenge will still be the same. In some cases, even far more specific around, you know, and recognizing a computer screen, a document that is shown on the screen and so forth. And as you can imagine, a screen can have far more context that the uh, robot needs to identify, differentiate in order to make sense of it. So yeah, we already embed for that reason, AI into the robot as well. And computer vision, which you something typically expect on a, on a physical robot nowadays. Boris, UiPath is a company that was founded in Romania in 2005, then a little later moved to New York. It's listed on the stock exchange. It's not necessarily as big a household name yet as maybe, you know, capitalization would, would warrant. Uh, can, can you maybe briefly summarize what does UiPath do? So in essence, the, the solution we offer is to simulate what a human is doing on the desktop computer, laptop, even on a mobile. And it's a very easy way for a non-technical person to create their own automations by just recording themselves and doing that in a very highly reliable way. Reliable in the sense of understanding all these elements on the screen and so forth. This technology has helped large companies, whether these are companies like Equifax, Uber, CenturyLink, all these kind of companies who are kind of using that technology to simulate and automate those activities that people are doing with all these applications every day and comprising them and putting them into software that they can trigger and use at their time whenever they need it. That's in essence the, the flexibility and enabling that in a way that you know everyone has access to it, everyone can learn it, everyone can you know, just even use the, the community edition that we have for free in the market that you can just use in the cloud. Even the trainings are free. So it really just has this notion of we want people to use this as the next generation productivity tool. You had office tools and so forth. That's great. But now let's get to the next level of automating all this work that you have to do in processing data, moving data from the mail to this application, taking data from this application, and then compiling a spreadsheet doing this. All this is exactly what you can automate. And that's exactly what we're targeting. Well, that could save me and a lot of people a lot of time and allow us to do more interesting things. This is great. Yeah. So your software robot has computer vision to recognize what's on the screen, which is so interesting. Now, before we dive deeper on that, Bill Gates used to talk at Microsoft about a computer in every home. The UiPath CEO, Daniel Dines, has kind of complement that with saying, I want a robot for every person, a software robot, that is. So I'm really curious, where do you stand on that? What's your thinking? Everyone who's, you know, who works in any kind of job 
will be expected to use Excel, Word, PowerPoints, right? It's totally new. We get also trained in how to tell a story, right? Creating a PowerPoint and so forth. So it's kind of totally new skill, but it's now part of every job out there. No one would come in and say, oh, I don't know how to use it. That would be quite unseen. Every student knows how to use it and so forth. But now we come to the next level where we create this automation that works side by side with me, where I can just, instead of saying, oh, I have to run a campaign, send emails out, receive emails, extract the information in the spreadsheet and send the list forward. That's a typical example where you now could actually, oh, I could use UiPath Studio X and then just do this. And once I've kind of captured it by doing it myself, I can very easily got this workflow now and then I can run it every time I need it. And using that as that tool with all the additional features that as I want to expand, but that's kind of the key essence of it to say, hey, let's have this robot for every person. Yeah, you mentioned Microsoft and PowerPoint as one of the tools, of course, a lot of people use. And there, it has a few suggestions that come in when you drop, let's say, images into a slide. It'll suggest a few layouts so you don't have to lay it out in detail yourself. But what you described for UiPath, I think, is quite different. And I'm curious, when you started using UiPath as a customer before you were at the company, what exactly were you doing? So I was working for a company that delivered application management services or IT services to various customers. And we were looking at the next generation tools to help reduce the workload of managing multiple systems and so forth. Mm -hmm. And there's always an area around the service management processes. So raising tickets, processing tickets, rerouting tickets, understanding what the problem is and doing a first diagnose or housekeeping activities with applications. You always have to start a certain database at a certain time or do run updates and all those kind of things that people had to do in a repetitive manner or migrate a database into the cloud and so forth. All those kind of activities were something that we wanted to automate as much as possible. So so this is where I looked into various tools in the market And UiPath was, at that point for me, the tool that was absolutely the most flexible and easiest to learn. To give you an example of a typical process that many of our customers are automating is think of an HR onboarding process. So when a new employee joins a company, you're touching so many systems, right? You're touching the payroll system. You're touching an identity management system. You're touching an IT purchase system to order a laptop, phone, and whatsoever. You may need to update certain access rights to use particular applications. So everything that makes that new employee onboard and get started with work All these is usually a process where someone manually had to go into the systems and update all this data and also make sure that its approvals are very often required to approve. Does this person get this phone or should the person get another phone? There's communication going back and forth with the individual who is going to be employed. Do you want to use this phone? No, can I do this? And so, so all these kind of activities that are necessary And think about all the documents that need to be collected, not just CV, but maybe other documents that are needed. All this would be a typical ideal process to automate end-to-end. And so then an HR representative only needs to put in the initial core data, and boom, the whole process from start to end will be kind of managed by the robot. And the robot will only involve the humans for getting a confirmation, approval, all the things that require decision that only humans can do, but everything else that typically people would be doing is then fully automated and also being able to handle exceptions, right? And that's a typical example. That's a great example. I love it. Now, when I think about it, again, contextualizing in the context of physical robots, which I'm so much more used to, physical robots, learning from demonstrations is a very big thing. You show how something is done and then Mm. the robot will internalize that and imitate it. Am I correct that for UiPath, the whole thing you just described where the HR onboarding process gets automated, it's not done by writing 
code to automate it. It's by a person doing it a few times and it just watches the person do it? Not quite as much. You can just record yourself. And through the recording, it generates the code. So then you can adapt it and modify it. And that's how it's done. So if you compare that to a, a physical robot, yes, you can basically take the physical robot, do all the movements for the robot, and then whatever move you made generates the kind of instruction, then that's how you could translate it. It's not an AI system in a sense that the robot uses all the sensors, watches what the person is doing, and feeds that through a deep learning network that then learns automatically after n many trials. This is actually the much faster way is really to you get this workflow notation and then you can do the corrections in a sense because it's always whatever you record once is not just immediately oh here it is you know mm -hmm. because just a bit, simple example if you do something in a loop the recording would create each step so then you have to touch it and, and oh no, let's program a loop out of this and so forth. Mm -hmm. But that's the way it actually works, if that's, you know, explained it more clearly. So we use AI more for our sensors. Our sensors are the, the ones that need to understand documents and screens that humans need to process. And they're designed for humans to handle. That's where we apply our AI. Got it. But that's really interesting then, because what you're saying is instead of giving many demonstrations for the system to internalize what you're trying to do, you can just give it one demonstration. It generates essentially a description of your workflow, and then you can go in and make a few adjustments if you feel it didn't capture it exactly right. And then there you have the workflow internalized into the system. Yeah. We even went a bit further and realized, you know, in the world of pro business process or processes, there are people who are always who can't be technical, but they may have to capture a very complex process. Mm -hmm. So we designed a tool that's called Task Capture. And Task Capture allows you to do the same thing with the recording, but it creates a visual chart that typically the kind of process analysts would, you know, immediately understand. And so if I'm not technical or not even, you know, kind of like to program something, I can just create that chart and it press the button and creates you the full documentation. Someone would need a process documentation. Someone would need to implement it. Mm -hmm. And you can also press the button and get the code. And then you can send it off to the, what we call the center of excellence. That's mm -hmm. the guys who then translate that into and refine it. It's like a, almost like capturing the knowledge in a very, very effective way so that People who have a process knowledge and expertise can easily see, yeah, this is my process and then pass it on to get people to refine it and put it into production. I'm curious, when you first encountered UiPath as a customer, at what company were you working then? I was working for Atos. And before that, I, I have nine years with Accenture and with Infosys. And I was doing large service transitions, offshoring. The whole process has a real method to it, to transfer a whole IT department to offshore operations or a finance department to offshore operations. But with that knowledge at that time, I said, wow, this automation software is exactly the next step of where outsourcing will be needing to go. If at all, it needs to be outsourced to a different location and, and so forth. Labor arbitrage doesn't become relevant anymore if you can actually, you know, take that simple, in a way, standardized way of working into a robotic workforce. Interestingly, the world hasn't, you know, when, when it first came out with the robotic process automation, everybody was, the first thought everyone had is, oh, this is going to impact all the BPOs. And it didn't. And I know why, but it's a long process to understand how you scale automation. For example, when they start automation, people pick here process, there process, this process, that process, even maybe even do a business case around one big process and so forth. If we would have done outsourcing in this way, outsourcing would not exist. In outsourcing, you look at a whole organizational structure. You look at the roles the people have and you try to map the roles to someone 
on a different location. Now with robotics, you can also software robotics with RPA, robotic process automation, you can do actually the same. You could take that role and you could say, okay, what of these activities are basically very repetitive activities? And everybody has those. Whether this HR representative who kind of triggers the onboarding and so forth, all those activities. And there will always be a portion of maybe 30, 40, depending on what particular role you have. But you can create basically a robotic workforce that can take over that part. And the exciting thing is that the person who's done that job before can now concentrate and expand their activities into activities that humans should do, which is creative activities, thinking, talking, communicating, being more available for other human beings to kind of interact and so forth. And that becomes so much more important. So an accountant with the robotic process automation technology can become a rather a, a financial analyst who may even understand more about AI models and so forth to do predictions and stuff like that, because now they have the time to concentrate on that because all the standard stuff, closing books and so forth, they just trigger their robot and all they see is kind of, they can see what the robot is doing and just follow that. So it becomes much more kind of an enriched way of working. And that's also goes back to the original question you asked, you know, the robot for every person, that's the vision we have. That's basically, yes, it's going to change the way our roles are today and gives us totally new opportunities. And so did the real robotics, uh-huh. <laughs> right? When Kawasaki first introduced it, it was like, oh, goodness, many people are going to, it just always showed the opposite, that it actually created far more opportunities. And that's the same thing here with the software robot. So Boris, I'm really curious about your personal story here because it's so interesting that you use a product and then you decide in some way or other, and I'm curious, to quit your job and join the company whose product you were using. How did that play out in your head? (laughs) It's interesting, yeah. It was for me, it was something that I'm very passionate and I really saw that this is something bigger. This is a bigger story than just here's a piece of technology you use and you can solve this problem. But with this solution, I could solve so many problems and <laughs> change the way we work. It was so clear to me. And it was always astonishing to realize that other people couldn't see that so clearly. So that told me, Boris, maybe you have here an ability to bridge that, to help people think how the new way of working could really work and look like. Mm -hmm. And the product has so many, not just opportunities as such as what you can automate, but also everything is in there. See, our product today is not just the RPA. Mm -hmm. It's process mining. It's an AI engine that we have that's closely linked to our robots. So you can upload your own AI model and have that embedded into the RPA solution. We have low code. So you can design your own application, Mm -hmm. expand it to your database. And these were also things that I saw at that time. And I said, well, this is ideal. And I mean, meeting Daniel in the early stages, and it was really like, uh, Daniel is a really amazing person. And it was someone I said, well, It's a high risk, but it's great fun. The guys are just, they're on a right track here. And I could contribute to that. At that point, I could really maybe help them to see more the business side and and, and to talk to customers and help to bridge that or create a vision and so forth. So the first vision of a roadmap we created was actually also like a metro map and had three tracks. So it had the capability track. On that track, we were showing how, you know, from the machine, you became more intelligent in the sense of, you know, you applying AI technologies. And Mm -hmm. from the first way where you start, you know, using something like computer vision or recognition, understanding more the semantical context and so forth, Mm -hmm. and then applying it into understanding documents, extracting the information more intelligently. Mm -hmm. So all this, you know, is it semantics, the ontology together with, the actual extraction capability 
and making sense of that, and then to custom build machine learning models. And at the end, we saw something that could generate automation code. So this goes more into the direction, the same what you do in robotics, where you actually have a deep learning network that then you know copies and really copies what someone is doing and it starts learning and relearn reinforcement learning itself. And that's exactly what we are still seeing where all this will evolve. So that was the track of what we said capability from basically from machine to something human-like, you could say. And then there was the other track about agility. So this is about business and ease of use. So how quickly could people just learn it themselves and adopt it and do something with it? Mm-hmm. How agile can I put it to the business to solve business problems and so forth? So the whole ease of use and all these aspects were very important aspect of it. And we had different stations and also integration. Today, an enterprise has a whole stack of technologies you need to integrate with. So that was also something that was on that track. And then the third one was scalability, which is one of the most important ones where you look at, okay, from how do I come from this one entity to orchestrate a whole group of robots working together with humans and so forth? How can I generate automations in a larger team? So many questions. But the nice thing about the Metro map was where they had interconnections. So the scale interconnecting with the capability, the agility connecting with the scalability. So how do you put the ease of use and having many people being able to contribute? How do I put a whole model around it? And if I look at it, what we did in 2017 and what we created today we have actually implemented all these tracks. We actually added something that we didn't foresee at that time, which Daniel added, which is the test automation, which was always there, but was meant for technical people. So it's a totally different audience. We're, we're tackling, we're, we're giving something to business people, not programmers or so forth, but they want to make that usable for them. And so once we combined this all, we got the whole university, sorry, yeah, the whole universe of, of automations, capabilities, and tools together. And that roadmap is still absolutely valid. And I see all the extensions to it that will be coming as we go forward. But it very nicely showed where our interdependencies and how it kind of will change the way we operate with applications. You're maybe now talking about, this is what we are talking about very often, about a new automation layer. If you think of your system of engagement and your system of records, right? That's the, so an SAP system, a system of records, and then you have the SAP GUI, which is your mm-hmm. engagement layer and so forth, or, or mobile or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now comes another system that actually takes those and puts on top of it another application layer, you could say. We're making what people used to do with software we're making that another software layer <laughs> and reduce it to the point of wherever decisions need to be taken or mm-hmm. inputs that cannot be taken from any other system except from humans. Mm-hmm. And so that simplifies the whole way how we need to work. And as one other stream that comes very much into play here is the fact that we get more and more information now. Just think of how many emails you're getting today uh, or you're watching your social media inputs, you're watching this, you're watching that. You know, so it's like, (laughs) you need AI to kind of help you filter and you need automation to help you. And so that's where we see the the movement. The amount of data is increasing to handle that workload. You got to have to apply automation in order to get through this. And so this layer that we are creating simplifies it and makes humans be able to just concentrate on the things that they need to concentrate where they need to make decisions. So Boris, it's very interesting. When I listen to kind of what you're describing in the vision, it's a very big vision. And it it sounds like there is a lot happening beyond what maybe I would literally call process automation. Because once you talk about, you know, bringing information, deciding what information to present to somebody, that feels like Maybe a, a whole other thing beyond just automating a workflow. Does it for you still fall in the category of process automation or is that something different now? 
Yeah, many people try to kind of think of, oh, this is, should be intelligent automation, or this is, you know, kind of, and I'm just always saying, you know, in a few years, people will not make a differentiation anymore mm. of intelligent automation or RPA. It's automation. Automation will not succeed without intelligence. Mm. Automation will not succeed without the appropriate approach and tools to actually scale it. So as you rightly say, it seems to be more than just a process automation flow. It is. It's absolutely true. And this is something that we always explain because our platform is designed in a way that it allows the bigger picture, that you can really look at, okay, what's the organization that I want to help automate Mm -hmm. doing? And then look at the particular role and at the particular functions and really conceptualize how we operate. So the amazing part of the technology is that it helps to revisit how we work today. So which technology is really going to impact the way people work today? And that's going to be automation and a tool like UiPath. It needs to be able to cater for so many situations to assess the process, to include as many people, to enable them to do it themselves, and it needs to be controllable. What we do in AI is for you probably as an expert, you think, what, they're still just doing regressions and predictions and classifications? I mean, can't they do something more, you know? (laughs) Um, But the point is that many of this kind of AI models Mm -hmm. that operate like a black box you cannot put that into a business, put, try to put that into a bank and just say, okay, it's, it's, it's learned itself. It's all great. It's just, no, it's, you have to be able, people have to be able to verify it. And that's going to be the next challenge for AI. And it's easy to do it as an automation flow. And then you have that decision point, and then you can maybe concentrate, here's this model, and this does this, and, and you can prove it and so forth. And then once you get to that level, the enterprise will more and more adopt it. But this kind of black box concept, like you have in GPT-3, <laughs> so, oh, wow, it's, what's, the output is amazing, but you can't really, it's somewhere else by somebody else who controls it. Who wants to give that to someone, right? I think it coheres with the same challenge around data privacy and mm-hmm. access to data. And it's also the big stumble point for AI, access to data. But RPA is a, or automation is kind of a level that makes it easier for people to get the access to get it going. That's why it's such a natural, good combination. As always, we will also be posting a video recording of this conversation onto our YouTube channel and our website, therobotbrains.ai. We'd love for you to subscribe to our channel to make sure that you get an alert whenever we post a new episode. You can email us at podcast at therobotbrains.ai with any thoughts about the show, suggestions for future guests, or with any questions you may have. You can show your support for the podcast by giving us a review on whichever platforms you listen to our show. And please consider sharing our episodes with anyone you think would like to learn more about AI, robotics, and the people bringing them into the real world. On the website, it says that Google and NASA are using UiPath. And I'm curious if you know for them or maybe some other companies, what exactly are they doing with UiPath? First of all, every company has core supportive functions that they're all doing, HR, finance, Mm -hmm. IT, legal and compliance. Can we go a little deeper on that? Like a specific person at Google... Yeah. How is their day-to-day changed? How do they program the UI path? So they implemented on the finance operations some key functions in terms of uh, processing invoices. Mm-hmm. So like us, we process 1,000 invoices every month, and we apply our own technology to receive invoices, extract the information from the invoice, mm-hmm. and process that into our Oracle NetSuite backend system. Mm-hmm. When we done the first runs, so we took out our, we have a standard machine learning model for invoices. So it is flexible to understand all kinds and all types. Mm -hmm. 
And then we have taken that data, extracted that data, and whenever there's a validation necessary of a human, it assigns a task in UiPath Task Manager, or actually you can access it to the Action Center, which is a browser, you see your task. So it puts it into a queue, like an inbox, where then people can pick up and see, oh, I need to validate the data of this invoice. They see the invoice, they see the data that was extracted, they make corrections. And as soon as they make corrections, it sets up a new pipeline of new data that will be retrained automatically in our platform so that the model learns as we go ahead. Very simple principle. But this allowed us so that, you know, over the time now, more than 85% of all the invoices don't even involve a human anymore because it's done automatically. So processing, taking the invoice, taking the data, submitting that into the systems, same with purchase orders and so forth. All that manual work that finance guys would do is covered. So that's a typical task that I presume in Google's case, I don't know in, in full detail, but I know that it was a finance-related processes that they tackled. That's what they covered. And they had a had also the challenge, it needs to be kind of a two-step authentication and so forth that we needed to support as well. So robots needed to do that. So really, it's the administration processes every company would have that are covered here in many, many cases. In other cases, it's depending on the particular industry, it really um, could be processes that whether it's consolidation. So there's another company in Switzerland, actually, that runs online services, buying tickets and so forth. So they have oodles of websites where tickets are getting processed and they had one all the SAP system where everything needed to be put in and consolidated. Mm -hmm. They were able to take all this data that usually humans had to enter in the backend system mm -hmm. in SAP and create it all with robots that they were only touching the last 5% that were some kind of deviations or there were some kind of inaccuracies or whatever needed to be validated. Everything else from these online shops was mm -hmm. consolidated into the SAP system. And they did this implementation within three months. So that's an example. So that's T-Media, right? Mm -hmm. They've done this. And for them, that's a big deal because before that, everything was kind of disjoint. And that's one of the big advantages is that you can very quickly connect systems that haven't been connected before mm -hmm. in a very easy way. Or we had a customer in automotive space where they use a certain mainframe software that the guys who maintain that are long gone. People only uh -huh. knew how to operate it. They didn't know uh -huh. what to, how to fix it, maintain it, and so forth, or think of building APIs. And that's exactly where, you know, that was an immense solution. So these are the kind of the examples. All the standardized processes in these core functions are predominantly the ones that customers are using. Now, I'm curious, you've mentioned AI a few times well, several times, playing a pretty big role in, in the latest incarnations of the UiPath processes. I'm really curious about this because UiPath, I believe, was started in 2005. So long before the 2012 deep learning revolution start. And so it was built in a more kind of old school AI era where AI didn't really work the way it works today. And... Then AI started working much better than it ever worked before. And I'm kind of curious if you've seen a transition in terms of the kind of applications that can be automated thanks to the new capabilities AI is providing now compared to in the early days of UiPath. So first of all, in the early days of UiPath, there was no AI in that sense. Even this, uh, the understanding of screen was kind of intelligent anchoring, as we call it. So you said, okay, wherever this label appears and then in connection with some other component and so forth. So you had a set of rules that enabled you to increase the accuracy of what you're extracting. When actually AI evolved to the level that the cognitive side of it became more effective, meaning mm -hmm. we had now these abilities that AI could understand text and extract entities, could understand language, could understand documents, and all this. As soon as that came in, RPA kind of embraced that very much in order to process the information that was meant for humans mm -hmm. to process. 
So if I get a form or whatever filled in, the robot can understand that and does not need to be a human. So it can really take over that mundane task. And that's where I would say the current level of AI is predominantly being used in business is to process all these documents and things that were meant for humans or even voice. So we have a robotic call center agent. So you can call the agent and you can do all the modifications. You want to track a document and the conversation is almost natural. So that advancement of AI is exactly what the robots needed to get. You needed to get those robots being like a buddy you could work with, a person you could talk to, to make it easier for humans to work with those software robots. And that's exactly what we are concentrating on this right now, because that solves the immediate problem of what you want software robots to do. As we expand and have, I mean, there's so many more and deep learning and service that has been achieved. I think it's still at a level, you got to see that enterprise operations has to be very controlled as there's a lot of compliance and service that plays an important role. And so you can't just apply the latest stuff to it and assume that this even if you're proving in a kind of a proof of concept that there's real value to it, it is a difficult one to turn around and then also to scale. And that's where robots and AI came together in terms of the cognitive part. And that's where the strength is. We will come to the next part where, yes, it will be possible at some stage that the system will generate the automation code automatically and in a kind of even come to that level to have people verify it. And then that's kind of the next level, but I don't see us coming there so quickly. People just need to really feel comfortable with the level of robotics that is there today to help and support us in our daily operations. Yeah, it seems like you're separating two parts here for what you want the AI to do. The one part is the actual automation process And it sounds like that's tricky in business environments because if you automate, the AI automates generating the automation code, well, you know, if it makes any mistakes there, it could like at large scale make a lot of mistakes very, very, very quickly. But it does seem like one of the nice things about your setup is that even if you let AI give it a shot at generating the automation code, you have an interface to inspect it, which is very different from many other situations. And it seems really cool that imagine AI is just like watching you do things from that generates the code that could repeat that, turns that into a diagram. It sounds like you have the ability to show such a diagram and let people inspect it and maybe correct it from there. Yes, that's true. And that's kind of the benefit. However, when you come to decision points but you want to use a machine learning model or so forth, then that's the part that where we have the same challenge as with every other machine learning models. But all the other activities where the actional bit, not the judgment bit maybe, mm-hmm. unless it's a purely rule-based judgment, mm-hmm. that is verifiable. You can go through it, you can modify it, you can correct it, it's readable, it's understandable. That's indeed the big benefit. When things come in, I'm kind of curious because some things work really well or often work well enough. Let's say somebody, uh, if you run a good speech recognition engine, you can probably have somebody talk to your system rather than type into your system, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And you can field support tickets with people just calling in, no problem. But then having a conversation is, is... I don't know, where, where, where's the boundary of what's feasible? Is, is a conversation right. already feasible or, or not yet? Well, some people, you know, when they, they create their first conversational bots and so forth, I think it's the wrong approach. I don't want bots to become humans or I don't want, I don't need them for small talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need them to fulfill a clear transaction. They are, that's what they should be designed for. So for example, We created a robot that you can use for your internal IT support. It has a UiPath attendant robot on your desktop that's just there. And we have in the back end, basically, we we leverage the technologies from Microsoft, Google, audio codes, and so forth 
for the voice and AWS as well for the voice. So all the cognitive technology, if you orchestrate them all together with UiPath. So the effect is I can call and say, I have a problem with my laptop. I can't connect. And then I can talk to a person who sounds absolutely natural. So this is what the cognitive technology already can do. And can say, yeah, and I can help you with that. Oh, great. Okay. You just need to give me your routing table from your test. I said, I don't know how to do it. Uh-huh. Should I do it for you? Yes, please. And so this is where then this robot triggers the attendant robot on the desktop to mm-hmm. do that whilst I'm watching what this doing, this mm-hmm. is what I'm doing. I'm doing this, here's the table, blah, 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 blah. And attach it to the ticket, going into the ticketing system, attach it to the ticket. Mm-hmm. All you need to do is just submit the ticket. Are you fine with that? Yes, thank you very much. Boom. So mm-hmm. I get active help, but everything the robot does, I can see and watch myself so I know it's what it's actually doing. But that combination is a no-brainer to realize today but it's if you show that to many organizations, they say, wow, <laughs> I couldn't imagine that this works, right? But then if you show it to the IT guys, they say, oh, wait a minute. What about compliance? What about control? What about security and so forth? So when you think about it, it's a great opportunity, but it also invites a new risk that needs to be addressed. That's the good example. So indeed, robots, software robots, it's not a matter of a long time that we will just talk to the robot that we will just have an interaction like with a person, but Mm -hmm. it will not be a robot. You can kind of do small talk unless it's designed for small talk. And and that's where you don't want a robot. I want the robot to do all the standard procedures. I need to change the address. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to hang in a queue or wait for Mm -hmm. someone just to make a simple modification or any of these standard transactions should be taken care of, of friendly voice robots who never get annoyed who have so much time and give me a much better service than having a human. But for the exception cases where I need the humans, that's where I want to talk to a human, right? So this is, I think, how I perceive how the cognitive technologies should be applied. Yeah, and I can definitely relate to this notion that you really want the human at the right time in the loop. (laughs) Otherwise, it just becomes frustrating very, very, very quickly. I like this notion that you described, Boris, where... When I listen to you, I just get this sense that when you run UiPath, it's like normally you work with your keyboard and mouse behind your computer and things happen on your screen and it's operating your keyboard and mouse for you and you just see it do things. And maybe periodically you just have to say, yes, keep going or yes, this is correct. And it just feels magic to, to see all that happening automatically. One use case I'm curious about personally, maybe it's not a business use case in, in the same way, is anything I do in spreadsheets. I feel like whenever I work in a spreadsheet, whether it's a Google spreadsheet or an Excel spreadsheet or whatever is, is the maker, I feel like often I'm you know line by line repeating some things. And it's pretty obvious in my head what I'm doing. Like clearly the next 30 things I'm going to do are going to follow the same pattern And maybe there's a way to go in and program it, but doing that would probably take longer than just doing it. Yet at the same time, I feel like anybody who's watching me, any person who's watching me do this after three lines would know exactly what I'm going to do in the next 20 lines. And so I'm curious if UiPath is looking at any of those things. I'm pretty sure our R&D guys are looking at that exactly. So I think there's some publication around Daniel already talking about something that's semantic automation and so forth. I really don't know much about this right now, but I know that for sure that guys in our company are exactly looking at that next kind of step that the system will basically say, oh, wait a minute, this is, seems to be here a loop or something. I can still think, and it's it's not something that it will be so easily solved. Mm-hmm. This is, goes into the notion where you understand a process and then you're actually starting to generating the code in a sense. Mm-hmm. Because whether it's watching you doing it or whether it's watching data flows or so forth mm-hmm. in the same sense, it's still, I wouldn't say it's so so near. This is still quite a challenge, but you're much more closer to the AI world. So you may already you know, think about certain things. Um, what we're doing in the process world so far is that we can recognize patterns. So we record what people are doing in task mining. We mm-hmm. call it task mining, but so... People are doing all kinds of things on their desktop. And then we basically run a machine learning algorithm to detect what are kind of repetitive patterns. 
So it's already going in that direction. We already have a product that looks into that direction and we're expanding on it. So it's definitely exactly where we want to go. But to the extent that it already, you know, sees, oh, this is what you're doing. Let me do you this for you. It's something that I think still needs a little bit more refinement. But I know for sure our guys are exactly looking at that. Yes. Yeah, very exciting. Can't wait to start using that. <laughs> no, when it's <laughs> yeah. when it's ready. <laughs> no, it's true. Now, Boris, we talked a lot about the things that are possible today, right? And a lot is possible today. But when when you dream of what's going to happen in the next five, ten years with AI becoming so much more capable, what are the things that you're dreaming of that you'll be able to build and help us all do our work more effectively? Well, I think many of the key capabilities we need to really make use of to change the way we work. Many of those are not a dependency primarily on the technology, but it's how we adopt these technologies. So this is why we also had to concentrate a lot on products that help the adoption instead of just making automation smarter. It's a very important point. Where we would go tomorrow is exactly kind of in the sense like you describe it. So I will probably talk to my computer. The computer will be able to make those differentiations. I'm thinking there will be a mesh of different machine learning models, like a network of those. And people maybe have something like a federated machine learning concept where you add your different... So you have a machine learning model that solves one particular problem. You add this into the mesh, and now this big kind of brain has grown a new skill. And this is a bit of vision we have of... Well, that's why we talk about skills. When we add a machine learning, it's a skill. I see us kind of thinking around how we create those elements, those capabilities, like a big brain. And many solutions that we have as an end-to-end process is a combination of different machine learning models with different functions playing together. And then if you then apply something that is kind of able to leverage that and make connections around all those, it's going to be amazing. So this is, I think, in the far, far future, maybe uh-huh. where things are going. But the challenge we always will have is around how do we make it controllable? Nothing is as scary as total autonomous AI. And that really kind of scares everyone. And if you think of all the, I think, sci-fi things or so for the fiction novels that's full of all that. And I think, how can we make this manageable in a way that we can always have a control in that sense. And so that's that's the big things we need to solve. The way how to deal with data, especially if we want to kind of build those new skills. Mm-hmm. You can only train a model when you have the data. So how do you make the data accessible? There's so many parameters around it to ensure. How can it not be abused to a wrong? So there's, there are big questions around this. I think, and this is the question about adoption, about How do we deal with those big questions of technologies, that these powerful technologies? I think we have to solve those as well. Otherwise, you know, we'll still be the old monkeys and running on these, you know, nuclear-powered things. <laughs> and, and we need to be careful not to kind of uh, overexpand and, uh, you know, challenge our monkey brain too much <laughs> in that sense. So I like what you bring up there, by the way, because, I mean, you keep bringing back this notion of essentially human being in control, having clear control over everything. And I also see it in the name of the company, UiPath, UI, that's user interfaces, right? Mm. So I'm very curious about the user interfaces and how you see those maybe evolve over time to really keep control over everything that's being automated. Well, this is where you know we basically translate the notion of human activities and the systems into another notion or into another language, into a, into a workflow. But in that sense, it's always verifiable. People can read it, can understand what's happening. We will always have user interfaces of all kinds of applications. All kinds of applications will exist in the cloud or on the mobile and wherever they are. And they will be brilliant. We, we use them. We use smartphones. They do amazing things and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's the creativity, and it will be easy to use for all kinds of people. That's all fine. Mm-hmm. 
But in the enterprise world, and this is where this technology is so important, in the enterprise world, there are certain things, realities I have to work with. When I did service transitions, outsourcing, mm -hmm. it was like you talk to the IT department and they were saying, oh, we just want to consolidate all the applications to one or two or five. And so reality was it's not possible because business was already running with certain applications. You cannot just mm -hmm. take them off, switch them off. It would just, you know, kind of ruin the business and so forth. And this is just the reality there is. And there will always be creative people with the next clever application and so forth. But what this RPA layer or this automation layer does is kind of connecting that. So it will not so much impact the way we do user interfaces, but it will actually help that this consolidation that we always wanted or looking for it will allow that to create because the answer cannot be that there's only one ERP system in the world or one CRM system in the world. There will always be different applications because brilliant minds will come up with something new that makes it you know, very powerful to use. But the automation layer will enable it to combine all these best technologies with each other or even the old existing technologies. And you couldn't even tell that there's an old technology underneath because you now got this far more easier way of handling it. So automation could even be a new user interface, making it easier, easier adaptable, whatever. That's the power of it. It's so many, so many ways applicable. You're saying, hey, we can abstract away. There's so many layers of software that already exist that are doing useful things. And even though it's a natural drive for probably a lot of people to simplify and reduce the amount of software used under the hood, it might be more practical, more effective to not worry about the fact that there is 100 applications under the hood. Because as long as as a person, you're faced with a great interface on top of it that, let's say, UiPath provides, you can do your work very effectively, rely on everything under the hood in a way that doesn't require you to transfer data manually from one to the next to the next. You're exactly. operating a level above all of it. Yeah. And I don't need to concentrate on switching off this application, replacing this application, because migrating and converting something into another application is difficult. If I have a new application to be my finance operations backend, then I have to adopt all my processes to that application. Mm -hmm. Instead, why not adopt something on top that I need to do to connect it with and not just reinvent the wheel? In every part of our life, we build abstractions, right? If you think about computer science as an abstraction on top of electrical engineering, which on top of material science and physics, we don't really worry when we build at least most people, when they build, you know, let's say an AI application, don't worry too much about, you know, the details of the transistors under the hood. Even though it's a massive, complicated system under the hood, it's abstracted away and it works really well. That's now, true. It's exactly, that's uh, my son, right? When he kind of puts together his games, he's kind of this module, he's no programmer, but he kind of uses this module, that module for a Skyrim game and whatsoever. And there you go. He enriches the application as if he, and this is kind of, it doesn't understand what's in that module, but just knows how to plug it all together. And with the increase of data, we have an increase of algorithm, which we need to put together. So I think, yeah, I think that's kind of like the next layer that we can offer. The software is free. You can download it and you can use it. There's a community edition has the full functionality. Also training the same way. So yes, Joe Blocks should be using to learn it if you want. The difference is that if I use UiPath, I can use that in the context of an enterprise and control what people are doing so they can't hard code passwords in the automation, right? And then you know do something non-compliant. If I use Microsoft Power Automate Desktop, I could. There's no control. There's nothing. And so this is kind of the the important aspect of it that we want to highlight. But it's not that UiPath is only designed for B2B. No, people are using it in schools. Universities are using it. We want to democratize it. We want to make it easy for everyone to learn it and to use it instead of people paying us for using Excel like Microsoft did in the past. We'll just give it to them so that they can use it. And if they use it for, and they are, even for their small business, as long as they're below a million turnover, they can use it. 
it's just not a productive environment. It's in the cloud. If we upgrade it, then it's getting upgraded, right? But it's really has a real interest of also involving the consumer. It's very complementary to all the robotics we've had so far has been physical robotics. And I think it's really interesting to put it out there explicitly that the digital world has a lot of similarities in terms of that you want some automation there too. I think a lot of people probably don't realize that this is becoming possible. Yeah, that's true. And it's probably something that you realize every day is how, how you know, how difficult you can explain it, but still it doesn't drop. And so this is where I have created that lab to really show people and play the scenarios and so forth. Mm -hmm. I even use synthetic actors. So software that uses AI to... I watched some of the videos yesterday that are pretty <laughs> funny that I don't know if they're, they're part of, of your group, but it has these animated kind of stick figures, but then actually one of them, oh, there's a stick heads? figure and, and then your head is on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's the bobblehead one, but that's yeah. not the one that we use Synthesia AI. So that was a real person once recorded. And based on these recordings, you now can add a script and it will move the mouth and expression exactly as if the person was, was in front of you speaking. And we use that for exactly those role plays. So they say, hello, I'm the so-and-so, I'm the underwriter, and this is the process I'm doing. And so all those kind of things. I even have a virtual reality lab. I, you could have had a VR headset and come with me in a virtual reality lab and watch things and so forth. So we'll do a lot of how can we make things explainable. Mm -hmm. But one thing that will actually interest you is together with a smaller startup in Romania that does industrial robots, we connected both oh, systems. Really? And the amazing thing about this was that we built a, an example how basically you make an order of a T-shirt or whatever it is, product. And then it goes through all these systems and then instructed the robot to do the picking and packaging. The amazing thing about this hardware robot, and I can connect you to those guys, is that was a robot that you can move anywhere and calibrate within half an hour and you could adopt it to do something else. But it was, was not so much AI-driven, was more kind of you had to program it. There's a strong connection, actually, that soon this physical and the digital world will come together It'll be one for sure. Yeah. I mean, it'd be very interesting to bridge the gap between the two. We follow, I think, similar principles, the different kind of maybe challenges, but it's similar models. You know, recognizing an object, whether it's an object on the screen, and it's all about how reliable can I make that object being recognized on the screen mm -hmm. as recognizing an object in the recycling center and having a robot to pick that up or something like that. I mean... It's a different grade of difficulty, but it's a matter of data. But it will be maybe even the same algorithm. Well, definitely, I think recognizing things on screen or in real world is very, I mean, if it's computer vision, it's computer vision. Now, real world, you also got to install the cameras. You got to make sure there's good lighting, get high quality images and so forth. The intelligence that comes after that is very similar, if not identical. Yeah, no, I'd be excited of the event automation can help you do more like in a simple example with you know, Grammarly. So mm. all the people who are not the perfect writers, especially dyslexic people like me, that is a real help. So now you combine all those kind of capabilities. That's where you put the UI path around it, right? Mm -hmm. You can have the best practice process as a ready skeleton to apply. And then mm. all these adaptions will maybe come through machine learning models. That's the level I'm seeing. But it goes exactly in the same direction you mentioned. You do three lines and then it actually figures out what you need to do. Can't wait for that future. Yeah, but you also want to be making sure that it doesn't think you do have three lines of what you want to do. And then actually it's something totally different, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I definitely want to still be able to approve of what it does. <laughs> true, true, absolutely. Don't want it to just go ahead and submit something somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Boris, thank you so much for joining us. This is so interesting to see kind of this whole different world of robotics, which is, you know, robotics and pure software helping all of us do some of the more tedious tasks and repetitive tasks in our computers. So good to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. 
We are dropping new interviews every week, so subscribe to The Robot Brains on whichever platform you listen to your podcasts. Oh, and feel free to drop us a review and share our episodes with anyone you think would like to learn more about AI and the people bring it into the real world.